Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to the Connex Podcast. I'm Randy Frisch. Anna, you're here with me, and we had so much fun this week on the podcast. To be honest, I was like looking forward to this podcast for weeks because it's been scheduled that long. Anytime I get to email with Drew Davis, talk to Drew Davis, and especially podcast with Drew Davis, you know it's going to be fun. And it, it was exactly that. He brings such energy and he has such exciting stories from his background. Yeah, I could listen to his stories. I even said this on the podcast. I could listen to his stories about being in television production all day long. It's amazing. But also the way that he relates his background to content is is unbelievable and it makes perfect sense and it's a it's a it just makes for great storytelling and really engaging um anecdotes. Absolutely. You know, you know what when I started to do more speaking myself a couple of years ago, I reached out to Drew and just said like I need I need advice. And I had him actually watch a couple of the webinars that I have done and things like that. And he just came back with this. At the time, he was talking about it more as a hook um, was what he kept saying to me. is like, you need better stories to create a hook. But today we learned about a new term, a term that I, I'm actually now in love with, which is, which is this concept of a curiosity gap. Uh, do you want to do your best to explain it? Oh, boy. Yes. So he does a way better job of explaining it than I will. But it's basically inciting curiosity to continue engagement. Drew talks about the fact that we are so good with capturing attention with content, but we're not very good about holding attention and really engaging people. And that's what that curiosity gap does. Sorry, what was that? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Look at that. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's roll it with Drew. We have so much great content today, and uh, I believe you brought him in, right? I did, but yeah, everybody, you really have to stick around to the very end because um, Randy, you actually got Drew to bring out his best Muppet impression, and it is impressive. And that's a curiosity gap for you. That is a curiosity gap. Here we go with Anna and Drew. Drew, thank you so much for being here today. It is so great to have you, especially right after Connex. I am so glad to be back, man. Connex was awesome. This was is really a, a great event. I love single track events, and you guys pull off an amazing event. So thanks for having me. I know a little golf clap to Randy and team, right? It's yeah. It's a huge feat. It's huge. I don't think people realize how much effort it takes to put on a conference, but you know, um, I've been seeing behind the scenes and everything. But so, you know what, before we even jump into sort of what you talked about at Connex, why don't you give everybody a little primer about yourself? Sure. So, uh, so I started my career in the television business way back in the early nineties. I worked in like local TV to start, uh, doing public affairs programming, they call it. So I, I produced, um, a nightly 
call in talk show with like this right wing Republican host in a Democratic state like Massachusetts. And my job was basically to pick like the least drunk guy to put on the air because it was on at 11 p.m. And they would just yell at each other until someone hung up. Uh, it was a great show. Uh, and then I also. I, <laughs> is, there, is there still footage of this? Because this sounds interesting. Oh, Lord. I bet there is. I bet it, the show is called. We got to track this down. I know. It was called Adler Online. What's up, Randy? It was called Adler Online. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible show. Anyway, I produced that, and I produced the uh, the, the uh, highest-rated medical call-in show in the nation at the time. Um, there was only one medical call-in show at the time, so it was very easy to be the number one rated one. Uh, but it was <laughs> it was basically it was like hypochondriacs calling in to talk about their illness. And actually, in the United States, the FCC rules prohibit you from giving medical advice on the air. So we would just talk around the problem. And the advice was always go see a doctor. It was pretty, pretty hilarious. But it was actually a very well received show. And then I moved on from local TV. I produced for the Today Show. Um here in the United States, uh, I started on a weekend today and then did, did the regular Today Show. Uh, then I, I actually wrote for Charles Kuralt, which is if, – if you guys don't know Charles Kuralt, you should take the time to Google him and, and watch some of his uh, stuff. He was one of the most prolific American television storytellers, uh, and I learned a ton about storytelling from him. Uh, and then I worked for the Muppets. That was kind of my last stint in television. And in the late 90s, when the first dot-com boom happened, I got a bunch of jobs in marketing, which paid much better than television, by the way, like four times as much. And uh, even, in the, even in the Muppets? Oh, my, the Muppets. Let me tell you about the Muppets. The Muppets is, a, is a, like a fantastic brand. But so many people want to work there that they can afford to pay you almost nothing. So I was living in the middle of Manhattan uh, making, I think my starting salary was $18,000 a year. Uh, I lived on pizza and, you know, uh, like, uh, like just Kool-Aid. It was, I mean, it was really tough to live on that kind of salary, but you know, if you, if you want to quit, like there's somebody right behind you who'll take that job, uh, because everybody wants to work for such a great brand. So it's kind of tough. Uh, but television in general is, is, was very similar at the time. So my first marketing job, I actually got because a bunch of my television friends had started to work in dot coms for marketing. And I, I called them up and I was like, what are you doing? And they're like, we don't really know, but it, we get paid really well. So you should, you should do it. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I, I worked at a, a bunch of startups and then the startups kind of, the startup world kind of fell apart. Uh, one of the startups, the last startup I was working for got sold to Lycos and they, they shut down our um, office. So I found myself laid off. Uh, and decided that I could um, start my own marketing agency with a journalist friend of mine named Jim Costco. So in 2000, we started our, new, our own agency called Tipping Point Labs, and we sold that in 2012. And since 2012, I've just been writing books like Brandscaping and Town Inc. and traveling the world speaking to, to people like the, t the attendees at Connex, which were awesome. So I, I feel like you started off in television, and then that was like a little mini bio about you. But I feel like that in and of itself is like a TV pilot pitch. Like that whole crazy story. I was going to say everything's actually making sense to me now because, and I'll throw one, one conic story for everyone that happened, which is we put out a challenge to everyone. Um, and if anyone's seen the Drake or Shiggy in my feelings challenge, we challenged our speakers to actually produce their own Shiggy dance video. And the production value of yours, Drew, was like next level. Like everyone, you know, some people have pulled it off really cute, like dancing with their kid or something like that. But but yours was, I, we, we were all kidding as to like who did the remix at the beginning and 
But now I understand, like you were on the Today Show and you like you produced the Muppets in a sense. So this is all coming together. Oh yeah, it, it it does uh, it does start to make you know I feel like my career has been like a weird journey where every move seemed odd at the time, but for some reason it's kind of coalesced, uh, you know, and all those experiences have added up to something that's that uh, you know I've really enjoyed doing and and I found the value in every one of those experiences. So I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed the dancing. It's like Slumdog Millionaire, right? Like he he has that amazing run on what was the show uh you want to be a millionaire and no one knows how you, it's all his experiences they all added up in the end same thing yeah exactly that's right <laughs> uh i forgot what i was gonna say but yeah it's it, it, i mean uh it, it it was a fantastic kind of way to learn about marketing actually because um even as an agency, we focused very heavily on making sure we were telling stories that inspired people to buy something without ever having to sell them something, if that makes sense. And I think as a journalist and as a television producer, in fact, actually, that's what I learned at the Muppets, to be totally honest. The Muppets, just so, so you guys know, makes almost no money on their television and film production stuff. And in fact, the first show I worked on, Bear in the Big Blue House, was losing $500,000 by the time I came on board. And we had not shot one episode yet. And I couldn't figure out why this was a good idea until I met with the merchandising and licensing team at the Muppets. And that's when those two, there were two women who run this, this, this team. It was a very small team. Uh, and they, you know, I said, look, we're really over budget. And they said, look, I, I don't really care if we're over budget because here's the deal. If we make characters and write scripts and create a show that the audience falls in love with, they will buy Bear in the Big Blue House plush dolls for $29.99. They will buy Bear in the Blue Blue House sleeping bags and they will buy Bear in the Big Blue House interactive games. And we will make up hundreds of millions of dollars on your little overage of $2 million. So don't get in the way of creating great content because that great content will inspire people to buy stuff they didn't know they needed. And that was when I was like, okay, I get it. Like, this is how the company works. And that's when I realized you can do the same thing in marketing. Like, can you create content so good that it inspires people to go on a journey they never expected and buy something they had no idea they needed? I love how your entire, first off, that's, I love that anecdote so much. And because there's so much debate about, you know, what exactly do we get from creating content and what exactly, but it's so much squishier than that sometimes, you know, it's not this direct, like hard line to a piece of ROI that we're looking at on a spreadsheet, you know? And so I love that you use these anecdotes and you really tell these vibrant stories about great content and, and television and things that everybody can understand. And you pull this into marketing and you make it really understandable. And this has really been a cornerstone, especially even, you know, for your, your comics presentation. And I think it's engaging and wonderful. And it just really helps solidify the value of content in general. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys know from the from the presentation at Connex, like I actually talk about reality TV shows and like and that you can learn everything you need to know about creating great content from just watching some reality TV, but not passively watching it anymore. Actually understanding how they are leveraging the kind of content they create and the way they put it together to keep you engaged for as long as they want to. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I think if we one of the big problems actually in content marketing in general is that if there's a lot of advice out there on how to grab people's attention, right? Like we've been taught that you can write a better headline, right? Use some animated GIFs, uh, create a listicle, um, you know, like you just need better arresting imagery. Your email subject lines aren't, aren't gra attention grabbing enough. And the truth is like the internet age 
like marketing in general for, for the last 100 years has been about grabbing people's attention in a limited amount of time. You only have 30 seconds. You only have 15 seconds. And we are good at grabbing attention. What we're not good at and what the internet age has granted us, especially for content, is the ability to grab and then hold people's attention. And, and, and so, you know, helping people understand that you can actually hold someone's attention for as long as you want, as long as you understand those simple principles from reality TV can make a huge impact in, in the kind of content you create. And instead of trying to make it shorter and more bite-sized and snackable, which is a word I hate, uh, you know, you can actually create content that inspires people to act and builds enough tension and emotional drive that they've got to know the answer and they want to find their own solution. I, I love that, Drew. And, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of take from, from both of our keynotes, which we'll hit on more after the break, but just this idea of how do we do almost what, what consumer brands are, are doing well in some cases, right? They do loop us in. Like, you know, I, I go on Spotify and, you know, whether I speak plan five minutes, I'm listening to music 20 minutes later. Or, you know, as you hit on, people jump onto Netflix and, you know, they're, they're binging a season, right? So how do we, how do we get people to engage in, in more content after we've hooked them? So let's, let's dig in more on that. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. TechSmith makes it easy to create professional videos and images. With tools like Snagit and Camtasia, everyone can create custom screenshots, screencasts, and videos, no experience required. Need to share campaign results with people who aren't familiar with what CTA, PPC, or SERP means? Use Snagit to capture the results displayed on your screen and share them out as screenshots and screencasts. Or need marketing videos but don't have a video production team? Camtasia is an all-in-one screen recorder and video editor designed for those who have never made a video before. Communicating with screenshots and video is seriously easy with TechSmith. And for the Content Experience Show listeners, receive 10% off when you buy Camtasia and Snagit bundle. Go to techsmith.com and use promo code CONTENTPROS. Again, that's techsmith.com, promo code CONTENTPROS. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Drew Davis. Now, before our quick break, Drew, you were talking about how brands can do a much better job at holding people's attention. So how exactly can we do that? Okay. Yeah, so, so here's the, <laughs> the key to actually holding people's attention is understanding that the, there's a, like a deep psychological phenomenon at play when you're when when you're consuming content, and it's it's actually called a curiosity gap. So like we, we actually Randy, you mentioned at the beginning, like Stranger Things is is a show on Netflix that people will make time to binge watch, right? So everybody tells us we have no time. I have no time to read your blog post. I hey, Randy, great podcast. I have no time to listen to it, right? That's not helpful. Uh, the the funny thing is those same people will say, I, I made time to binge watch two seasons of Stranger Things on Saturday afternoon. Well, so there, it means there's some element missing from the content we're creating. And that element is actually tension. And tension is only built by creating curiosity gaps. So I'll, we'll go back to the very beginning of my television days. All right. And so like back in when I very first started television, um, I was taught to essentially create a curiosity gap between every 
uh, segment. So while a commercial break came on, I would have something that would get people to come back. So if you're ever watching the news and they're like, in a second, right after this break, we're going to tell you the, the crazy weather we're going to get this weekend. And you know what? I'm going to give you like five things you got to do to prepare for Saturday's crazy weather. And that, when you get that, that's, that's, a, that's a tease, right? And it's creating a curiosity gap. A curiosity gap is a void between what you know and what you want to know. Clickbait is actually the perfect example of this, right? Like, hey, check it out. Man hugs bear. You're never going to believe what happens next. Unbelievable. And like that creates a curiosity gap. And that curiosity gap has to be filled. And so when we create content, especially if you're a journalist, you were taught to create content where, you know, you kind of give people the salient information up front and kind of build this like reverse pyramid, you know, hey, give them broad insight and understanding of where we're going, then give them all the stuff they need. Well, it turns out if you want to create content that maintains people's interests and holds their attention, you actually have to create curiosity gaps. You have to really get them excited and interested in the content. So even on a podcast, if you know, a lot of podcasts start with like an awesome quote, like a quote like this, um, content is like, no, a quote like this. <laughs> a, quote, a quote like this. If you really want to <laughs> if you want to learn how to pay attention, you have to understand that attention isn't something you can buy and sell. Attention is earned. And then it's music, right? Yeah. And people are like, whoa, what does he mean by that? Okay. And then, and then there's like a bunch of banter and then they start getting to the meat of it. Well, that's creating a curiosity gap. They're like, who is this person? Like, what are they talking about? Like, I like that idea, but I need to learn more. So curiosity gaps actually get people through as long content as you want. And that's what Stranger Things does well. I mean, Stranger Things as a mystery is a whole series about curiosity gaps. And the more tension you build, the higher your need for closure. So like you go from, I want to know what happens in this episode to, I need to know what happens at the end of the season. And that need for closure is unbelievably powerful. In fact, your need for closure is what, what, what forces you to click those clickbait headlines because you know it's never going to measure up to the expectation they set. But you've got to close that gap so much mentally that you click the headline anyway and you watch a stupid bear video that never pays off. <laughs> it's so true. You know, it's funny. Maybe I'm remembering Stranger Things wrong because I, I did binge it in like a, a day. Uh, but but I feel like they do multiple of them. Like they almost lead off the episode with one before the you know the opening credits uh, to the point where you're just like, shit, I really like not only am I going to watch, it's like be quiet, kids. Like I need to focus. <laughs> it's like put, put everything else away. Exactly. That's actually in television. That's called a cold open. And it's where they start the story in the middle of the story. And, you know, Law and Order is really good at this. Law and Order doesn't start with like, you know, the opening credits and some music and like, hey, get to know the cops that you're working with today. No, they start like, oh, my gosh, somebody's going to get murdered in three. Oh, my gosh, they got murdered. Who did it? And then all of a sudden they start back at the beginning of the story or they go to the cop's office and then you get the credits. A cold open is a perfect example of creating a massive curiosity gap that you've got to fill over the course of 45 minutes. And, and once you're once you're 30 minutes in, it's not like you're going to change channels because your your need for closure is so big that you've got to keep watching. And great content and great content experiences are designed to do this, to keep you engaged. In, in fact, they just invite you to chase some answers. 
And not in a bad way, they're just inviting you along on a journey where you get more and more excited about whatever it is they're talking about. It's like the opening of any Mission Impossible 2 is all is going through my mind, right? There's that like captivating, like jumping off a plane. Yes. And you're like, why? who is he running from? <laughs> so I, I feel in a sense, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about very much focuses around the content that we're creating. What's the topic? How do we write it? How do we build that? What about going beyond just the, the content that's created? But, you know, often when we talk on this podcast about experience, it's how people are going to take that in. Right. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, back to your, your your Stranger Things example. One of the things that Stranger Things does is it's like, it's, I don't even have to watch the credits anymore of that episode. They're like, do you want to watch the next episode in five, four, three? It's like I can't even find the clicker that fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are the kinds of things that we need to think through. So like you you guys know, but at at the Connex, um, you you know, session, the keynote I did, you you know, I (laughs) one of the biggest problems with like especially case studies and testimonials that people create today for their brands is that they immediately want to tell like get their brand name in there right so uh, you know they might even set up the problem that the person had and then they, they'll cut to like hey when I started using uber flip like everything got better you know and like immediately you're 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 actually closing that curiosity gap because people wanted to know how did they solve this problem so if you're building a content experience just even around a thing like a case study and testimonial one of the most important things is to realize and understand the context in which they're showing up, right? So if it's on YouTube, don't don't label it customer testimonial, you know, Uber flip. Like that's not helpful because I know uh, there's no reason to watch that, right? But if it's like how a B2B company went from, you know, uh, securing one account to 300 count- accounts a year, now I've got a curiosity gap. I'm like, how did they do that? But then in the experience itself, what you want them to do is create, leave them with a question. Like you're trying to create a moment of inspiration at the end of the video where they still need to find an answer. And instead of closing the loop and just saying, this is the end of the experience, what you're actually trying to do is figure out what question you want to launch into their mind so that they take the next step in your experience without a call to action. Because some of the most successful content in the world and content experiences in the world actually need no call to action because the the, the content is so good, it invites the user to, to create what I, I, I call like an implied call to action. It's just like, wow, that was so good. I wonder how they got more accounts. Like what tools did they use? And so if I Google like what tools did you know company A, Y, B, and C use to uh, increase their ABM, that's when I might get to a different piece of content that's still by Uberflip, but it's like, the 10 things they did, one of which is use Uberflip as a solution. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that, you know, I absolutely love the curiosity gap. And I think you've given some really great examples of how brands can incorporate this, um, even just in small ways, you know, like you gave the example of, you know, the Uberflip testimonial, like don't name it Uberflip testimonial, give it something really smart and engaging. 
So Drew, are there brands that, that are doing this exceptionally well today? Or is there an example of a brand you encourage people to follow to check out how they do, you know, the curiosity gap? Yeah, sure. Well, let me give you an example. I'll give you one example. And then here's what I, here's the challenge to the audience. I think your challenge as an audience should be to next time you consume a piece of content and you find yourself wanting to take the next step, even though it's not the step that they prescribed. Like, like if you read an article and somebody's quoted in it and the next thing you do is Google that person's name. I want you to stick like stop yourself just for a second because that's actually a curiosity gap. And I want you to go back and read the article and figure out how they got you to the point at which you started looking for the next step yourself. And that'll because if we learn to consume content better, you'll actually create better content. And you've just got to start thinking like these people that do a really good job of it. I'll give you a quick example. So there's a company called Breville. Do you guys know Breville? Anna, do you know that? Yeah, okay. the coffee, right? But yeah, they make a co- an espresso machine. They make like um, ki- uh, kitchen countertop appliances. So like they make an electric wok and a toaster oven and all sorts of cool stuff. But they also make a juicer, like a, a machine that you put you know apples into and then you squish it and apples juice comes out. Um, and they wanted to sell more juicers. And and traditionally, your approach would be, well, let's go up against the biggest juice manufacturers, you know, juicer makers in the world, like KitchenAid and Oster and all these competitors. And they don't have that kind of budget. They're a smaller company. And they said, all right, let, let's figure this out. So instead, they decided to create a 90-minute documentary called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. It's a 90-minute documentary. Um, and when it first came out, there were uh, 50,000 people a day were putting it into their queue and watching it. And what ha- and, and this whole movie is basically the story of one guy's journey. He's a 40-year-old male, which was a strategic target for them, um, who wasn't very healthy, kind of had a bunch of like medical issues. And his doctor basically said, look, if you don't get healthy, you're going to die at a very young age. And he went on this quest to become a healthier guy. And one of the things he does is juice. And he juices his way across America and meets a bunch of people. In fact, he meets a truck driver who has the same like rare skin disorder. Anyway, the story is great. And it keeps people paying attention for 90 minutes. Okay. This is not like a 15 second thing. And hundreds of thousands of people were watching it every single day. And what they would do after they finished watching the film is go, what juicer was in fat, sick and nearly dead? Because you see juicers, but you ne- they, there's no, there's no branded messaging. And as a company, they knew that that would be the implied call to action. If people were very excited about this, they would want to know what brand it was. So they created landing pages and a whole content experience about what's the right juicer for you. And they didn't want to, they sell very expensive juicers, by the way, like 300 bucks. So they didn't want to sell a $300 juicer to someone who only wanted to spend 20 bucks. So they would even recommend competitive juicers because they wanted to get new customers into their pipeline so that the first thing they buy is a juicer. The next thing they buy might be their espresso machine. Does that make sense? So they created a full movie with a giant curiosity gap where you need closure. Like does this guy live or die is essentially the giant raise your stakes kind of concept there. And at the end, the implied call to action is I want to do what that guy did. How did he do it? So they also set up like juicing recipes from um, fat sick and nearly dead. All the questions you would have after watching that film, if you were interested, they had an experience to deliver for you. So the moral of the story is, 
think about creating content that is so good. It, it holds people's attention for as long as you want, builds their emotional investment in it so that at the end, they want to take the next step. And you've done it so well that you know what next steps that content might inspire on the journey. And you've built an experience that gets them to the point at which they're buying your product. That's a great example, Drew. And uh, you know, it, I feel like I've learned so much on on the curiosity gap that I'm going to try and put two in to close this up. So, so the first, my first attempt at a curiosity gap is that you know you dropped way more amazing examples and framework at our event Connex, which we've talked about in the keynote. So, if people want, we have put the URL in this podcast write up that people can go and click and download your full experience and, and watch that talk. So that's that's curiosity gap number one. But curiosity gap number two that I think is even you know more on your edge, you can't wait, is if you stick around after this short break, we're actually going to ask Drew and Anna if they were a Muppet, because we always go personal. If they were a Muppet, what Muppet would they be? And like, I'm going to almost like just like say you have to tune into next week to learn that. But, you know, we'll do it after this break. Uh, curiosity got that. Okay, here we go. We'll be right back. All right, Drew. Uh, and Anna. Anna, you got to be ready for this, okay? Um, I've been thinking about it since we started talking about Muppets. So I'm ready. I am ready. Um, but, uh, you know, Drew, we'll start with you. We'll start with you. We want to know if you were a Muppet, what Muppet would you be? Okay, so I I would be Gonzo um, because I, I, I've actually always had a deep affection for Gonzo because he's a little weird. Uh, his ideas are a little, you know, out there, but he's always got a reason for doing what he wants to do, and his intentions are always good. So I, f- and you know, I like I like a good um, chicken joke. So I, I think I'm I'm definitely Gonzo, or maybe Super Grover. Now I'm wavering. I, I was actually on the fe- I was on the fence to be very honest. Like I was actually a little bit tempted to go the Fozzie route, right? Like sometimes I talk a little bit too much and I go into too much detail and I own that about myself. Um, but really like I'm a caring guy, right? Like Fozzie's like a caring guy at the end of the day. And yeah, you know, so I'll, I'll take Fozzie now. All right. <laughs> okay. Well then I won't do Grover until I hear what Anna's character is. Okay. So I, I thought we were making up Muppets. Oh, that's even better. Man, you are creative. That's a surefire sign of a creative mind. So so if I were to pick an existing Muppet, it would definitely be Rizzo. Oh, yay. I love Rizzo. His his personality, his sense of humor. It's like I feel like I make those jokes all the time. So I'm going Rizzo. Isn't it interesting that no one chooses Kermit? I feel like Kermit's a bit of an, a dick. A little too cocky and high on himself. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be that uptight, like always worried about everything. Kermit's just not. I don't know if Kermit's that lovable. Okay, real real quick though. You know that part where Kermit is sort of like brainwashed into corporate culture? <laughs> and like they're sitting around the table going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how many meetings have you actually been in though? Yes. Like, <laughs> like it's that part is too real and so that makes me like kermit just a little bit more oh yeah tons that are just like that <laughs> that's awesome all right let me do i'll do i'll do my grover imitation really quick you ready here we go near far 
near, far. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the whole invitation. Drew, this has been so much fun. Just to clear it up for everyone that we've called him Drew a million times, but if you're looking for his books on Amazon, check out Andrew Davis. That's the way you're going to find it. And you'll find you know, Brandscaping there. Is that the book that people should be looking for now or is it is it? That's it. Brandscaping or Town Inc. are the two books that uh, that everybody loves. So either one of those. Amazing. Amazing. Drew, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please check out all of other, our other podcasts. They're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you can, leave us feedback on what we can do to make this better. This has been the Content Experience Podcast, the Connex Podcast. On behalf of Anna, I'm Randy. Thanks for tuning in. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.